and welcome to episode 19. That's Paul Hardcastle from the 1980s. Mike, you're probably too young to remember. Um, <laughs> most people have no idea what you're talking about. But great, I'm pleased. It's a very famous song from the 1980s in the UK. Possibly in America as well, I'm not sure. Oh, Forget fine. that happened. It's the Right For Your Life podcast and we're very pleased. We've already heard from you, Mike. And uh, that laughter there in the background was the wonderful Patrick Roan from Minimal Mike. And How are various you? others. Hello. Hello. Good day, sirs. Um, and I, uh, I've, I've, I've been fair looking forward to speaking to you, Patrick. And I very much appreciate Ditto. you coming on the. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, there's quite a lot to kind of talk about. And um, and and I think it's going to be quite an interesting conversation because you've had um, quite a journey over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. you're, I'm going to ask you to describe who you are and what you do in a second. But you started off with, uh, well, you didn't actually start off, but I, I found you through the blog Minimal Mac, which is, I think, what you're yeah. best known for. But then, Yeah, my best known site by far, yes. Indeed. And then, but the journey has completely exploded since then. So, but first of all, if you could sort of explain to the Right For Your Life listeners who you are, and, um, and um, I think that would be a good place to start. Uh, well, I'm Patrick Rohn. I'm a writer and essayist and author uh, living in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, we, we already mentioned Minimal Mac, which is probably me, probably my best-known site. Um, but if you want to really see where I write, like actually write like real stuff, not just link to pretty pictures of uh, clean desktops and crap like that, um, then uh, PatrickRohn.com is where you want to go. Um, and also, I'm uh, author of two books. Uh, keeping it straight uh, is the name of one, and enough is the name of the other. Recently released, uh, both of which are available if you go to patrickrone.com/books, which I urge you to do and buy one in the flavor of your choice. Buy both in the flavor of your choice. I've been uh, listening to the podcast enough for you know since you've been doing it really, and um, and I've I've heard you talk about the concept of enough and what what is enough to each person quite a bit, mm. and I have mm. um, I uh, I have kind of a, I, I kind of when I've heard you talk about it, I've I've sort of gradually realised that that's kind of my my philosophy on writing is actually tied into a lot of themes that you talk about. So we'll, we'll come I would on agree. To, we'll come on to philosophy later. Um, Mike, let's uh, let's uh, kick off with a, uh, a sponsor, shall we? And then we'll uh, crack on to the hard yakka. Thank you, Ian. This that kind of makes it sound like I was pre-recorded, which is quite interesting. <laughs> so I've not really said much. And then, let's go over to Mike. Thank you very much, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> this Sorry episode is. Oh, don't. I just thought it was quite funny. This episode is, of course, brought to you by the lovely Squarespace, which is everything you need to create an amazing website. What you need to know today, and what I'm going to tell you about, is the amazing apps that Squarespace have created for mobile devices. They allow you to post and access your statistics and a bunch of other amazing things, no matter where you are. You have the ability to post to your blog or any of your pages in HTML, rich text, markdown, and textile. They're the native um, text inputs that are accepted by the application. gives you the control um, to post how you want, when you want, where you want. You can view a preview of your posts and post them directly to the site, or you can save a draft to the website or locally to your device. You can upload and edit multiple pictures directly from your device. You can also, um, it, when you're adding text, if you're writing a blog post, you can add links, bold text, italicized mark quotations, and even set excerpts directly within the editor on the iPad. As well as all of this, you can access and edit in offline mode, view your statistics. As I mentioned, this includes visits and referrer information as well as um, 
uh, searches as well to the blog or to your site. You can mm. manage comments, multiple account access if you have more than one Squarespace blog, and much more. This app is so indispensable for anyone using Squarespace, and it's absolutely free for all users of the service. It's available for iPhone, iPad, and Android. If you go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels, there'll be a link in the show notes, you can start a two-week free trial there. As part of the trial, you can download and use the apps. There's no credit card required, no fee at all, obviously. It's a free trial for two weeks. If you sign up, you want to make sure you use the code 70 decibels 6 That's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S-6 at checkout. This will get you 10% off, and it lets Squarespace know that we sent you. So thank you very much. Back to Ian in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mike. The no weather problem, was great. No. <laughs> Patrick. Yes. So we talked about who you are. Now I want to ask you what you are. Now that's quite um uh <laughs> it's quite a question to ask someone. But mm. um the reason I ask is because um I want to know how you came to describe yourself as a writer. Um mm. and and when at what point in the last however long it may be, that you kind of felt comfortable doing that first. Um, so I guess a bit of background, a bit, bit of background to um, how you became to be a writer um, yeah. or an author, whichever, whichever you prefer. Yeah, um, that too, from all of that. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, but I think, it's quite, I think it's quite an interesting, um, it's quite interesting to come from a, 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 a kind of what I I guess what my point is, I've got, I've had a very traditional kind of writing background. I have, I, I've got an English degree and I have um, a master's in writing and I've written uh, fiction for for years and I and, I've, and I'm a copywriter for for a living. People pay me to do it, mm -hmm. so I kind of feel like it's dead easy for me to sort of wander around calling myself a writer. Mm -hmm. But I, and the reason I, I, I know that you have a very technical background, and yes. I, and. Part of the reason and, I ask you this is because I think there's just as much legitimacy in you calling yourself a writer as there is me, and I think that's the interesting thing. Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, so I need to I need to probably back up quite a bit here um, in order for people to understand. Uh, so uh, I think what you are getting at is, uh, you know, at what point do you stop simply being a blogger or you know, the dreaded curator word or whatever, um, and just be able to say, yes, I'm a writer. Um, I actually started off as a writer. Um, I published a book of poetry when I was 16. It's horrible. Um, I have one copy, and I hope it's the only remaining one and that uh, it will never see the light of day. Um, but uh, even in high school, my nickname was Poet. That's what people called me, was Poet. I was heavily involved in... Yeah, thank you. Um, I um, uh, had a... Uh, yeah, spoken word uh, background, uh, you know, did a lot of spoken word uh, performance and poetry and things like that. Even uh, through my uh, late 20s and, and early 30s did some of that. And my very first job in technology was as a writer for a computer company, um, a build-to-order computer company named Zeos. I was one of their three staff writers. And they had staff writers because this was before the day of even – widespread use of intra net or, or you know internetwork email 
right? So, mm-hmm. you know, people had Prodigy or AOL or CompuServe or whatever. They could send messages to other CompuServe users or AOL users or whatever. But this idea of sending a, a message from CompuServe to AOL didn't exist even, right? Um, and so... Uh, so people, when they had a problem or complaint with their computer or if they had um, something good to say um, or just wanted to give feedback, they wrote a letter. And I was one of uh, four people um, that uh, would sit down and respond to those letters um, as well as do other sort of copywriting duties and uh, script writing duties and things like that. So even my venture into technology started as a writer. So even at that young standpoint, I was a working writer. I was getting paid for writing in the same way that you um, have that same similar background. Mm-hmm. Um, I then kind of ventured more into technology and tech support and things like that for a number of reasons, not the least of which was a whole lot more money. <laughs> um, uh, I, I had this kind of dual role of being both a writer and kind of a geek. And the tech support folks, after having written technical documentation and other things for them, kind of started to recognize that I was a geek. And so actually one of the tech support managers approached me and said, what do you think about coming over and like working second tier tech support, you know, for us? And I'm like, dude, I'm I'm an artist, man. I'm a writer, man. Don't harsh my mellow, man. Don't harsh my mellow. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and he was like, oh, no, no, I'm not trying to harsh your mellow, but you're making this (laughs) much now. And in tech support, we pay you that much starting. Where's the phone that I pick up? Just show me the phone. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> there goes the writing career. Um, here comes the tech support career. And after doing that for a while, I got into uh, – I decided that what I really wanted to do and why I really excelled at, I really excelled at helping people with technology problems. And that I wanted to eventually work my way into having con- a consulting business where I did that. And every job I took after that, I took with that specific goal in mind so that I could eventually work for myself and have a technology business, Mm. which I did. Great. Terrific. Flash forward to maybe a couple of years ago, let's just say three, start Minimal Mac. Minimal Mac takes off like crazy. Um, I never stopped writing. I mm-hmm. always wrote. I was always writing something. In bad times, I didn't write as much as I did in good times. Or, you know, maybe my writing changed a bit. There's a lot of stuff I wrote during my bad times that, uh, you know, it's that typical, you know, angsty, the world is broken and will never be fixed sort of stuff that, you know, no one ever really wants to publish. Um, uh, and, uh, but I always, I kept writing. Um, it's just, I made my actual money some other way and writing was a hobby and I wouldn't have called myself a writer, but, uh, after minimal Mac took off and a couple of years went by and I started to notice, uh, say after the first couple of years that, about 50% of my income was coming from my writing and things related to it, whether it be, you know, ads and other vehicles uh, through Minimal Mac, whether it be um, other little smaller writing jobs I would get I would get on the side, or whether it would be eventually publishing 
you know, uh, publishing a book, mm-hmm. um, it got to be about 50-50. Um, and last year, not only did I double my income over the previous year, but that double was largely due to the fact that my writing accounted for um, a little bit more than two-thirds of my total income. So, I mean, that's quite a clear distinction, isn't it? That's, and, and I think yes. I, I said to you, before we started recording that in, in, a, in, a, in a strange way since having got a, a publishing deal for my novel, I feel about a thousand times more comfortable calling myself an author rather mm-hmm. than a writer. And mm-hmm. I, never th- I never really thought about it a great deal beforehand, but it just felt so natural afterwards because yeah. of course I'm an author now because I've been paid to, a, a publishing company has bought my book off me and now people yeah. will be able to buy it and I will get royalties for it. And it's, yes. it's kind of felt like a, it's, it's, and I guess in a way I, I kind of maybe initially felt a bit weird about that because I realized that it was quite, it was quite a, a, a physical, quite a tangible kind of thing, money. You know? Yes. Should I? Well, but even more importantly, um, and uh, so this is very fresh on the brain because I just read a wonderful book called Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield who uh, wrote uh, War of Art and Do the Work to other really seminal books, I think, on on uh, the, the creative process and what it means uh, to fight through these barriers and get to this place where you got to, which is calling yourself an author. He talks a great deal about this in Turning Pro. The one thing that you did there was you made the decision, you set the milestone in sand, and you said, I did it, I published a book, I am now an author. Guess what that means? What that means is, now that you call yourself an author, it's not just enough to publish one book. You've got to mm-hmm. keep doing it, right? Until you decide not to. At which point you will, should, you will probably also decide that you're not going to call yourself that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Or that that will become part of your, you know, what you did. I used to be an author, and now I'm, you know, a, you know, famous radio talk show personality. You know, I mean? yeah. Yeah, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You know, that there's always that principal thing that you are, and a big part of what gives you license to say that is simply making the decision that that's what you do, and that's what you're going to do to make money at, and you're going to do everything you possibly can. Um, like when you sit down in the morning, when you, you know, put on your shirt and pull up your pants and you sit down in the chair. I would, also put, I would also put trousers on there as well, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, trousers. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we have the, the British audience to be concerned with. Yes. Um, but you get what I'm saying. You sit down in that chair and you write. That's what you do. Because without doing that, you're not a writer. And more importantly, you're a professional writer. So you take that and then you sell it. You find any way you possibly can to sell it. Because selling it is what makes you be able to sit down in that chair and do the work. And that's the goal, right? So that you can keep calling yourself a writer. Absolutely. That's, uh, I mean, that's, uh, that, that is kind of what I thought you were going to say, which is a good thing, I think. Cause <laughs> and it also makes me feel a bit better about the way I've kind of been thinking. Because it's all quite, it seems, it seems kind of crazy for me to say, um, having having sort of worked on my novel for so long, having got you know qualifications to do what I what I kind of do, having yeah. got the day job as well, which is writing related, it, it might seem a bit odd to people that uh, that I've kind of been wrestling with that definition and the distinction myself to try and think about what I am now. Am I uh, about whether it's 
I mean, maybe this is the Britishness of me, but feeling a bit uncomfortable, like I'm a bit getting a bit above my station, you know, calling myself yes, an author, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is a bit of a, I think that is just me being silly. I mean, of course, no, I, no I don't, I don't think so at all. I think that that's a very natural thing that a lot of people mm. go through, right? And especially, I would say, especially if you really do have the talent, right? Mm. It, because if you, if you have the talent and you respect the work, you respect the talent and work of others, right? And you can't, you can't help but to naturally put yourself, you know, against that league, right? And so when I look at, say, um, you know, uh, Stephen King or Stephen Pressfield or, you know, David Foster Wallace or Brett Easton Ellis or Neil Stevenson or Neil Gaiman or, you know, the list goes on and on and on about the, about the you know, the authors that I love and more importantly, the writers that I love, right? Mm. When I call myself a writer, I'm putting myself next to them. Those are my peers, mm. right? I mean, and that's, that's some some heavy baggage to carry if you really respect someone else's work. Right. I mean, that's like saying, um, you know, if you're an, if you're an actor and you're acting in community plays or doing whatever, but that's how you're making your living. You're calling yourself an actor. Mm. Well, guess what? So does Tom Cruise. <laughs> so does Bruce Willis, right? So does Sylvester Stallone. So does, you know, I mean, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, you're on their level. Those are your peers. By calling yourself that, you're putting yourself in that place. And, I, and so I think that that's a natural struggle to go through because it's some heavy baggage to, to, to carry because what it means is the moment that you, that you place that label on yourself, it means that you have to do the work in the same way that they do the work, in the same way that they show up every day and sit in the makeup chair at five in the morning and start acting at seven and end their day at 10 PM to go home and to get up in the morning and do it again. So do you. <laughs> Indeed. Slightly, slightly terrifying thoughts. I think that's yes. probably a good place to move on to the, uh, to the second sponsor, Mike. Can we move over to you in studio too? Hello, Ian. I'm sure this is a great conversation you and Patrick are having. And I only <laughs> wish I could be there. Um, but I'll tell you something else that you should wish. Do you ever wish you could <laughs> nice. look over the shoulder of nice your segment. designer or developer heroes and learn from the best? Well, at Treehouse, you can. With a gold membership from Treehouse, you can get access to their entire projects library. You can watch as their Crackerjack team take various projects from idea to implementation. Then download the source code and get your hands dirty. You can finish off by completing quizzes and code challenges and show what you've learned. What Treehouse do is they provide you with courses, videos, um, and loads of excellent, really cool stuff about how to learn to develop for iOS, the web, uh, web design. They're basically, if you're interested in any of that sort of stuff, Treehouse is the place to go. So you can build your app, launch your own startup, or get that dream gig. Just go to teamtreehouse.com forward slash learn forward slash projects. There'll be a link in the show notes for that um, to find out more. At Treehouse, they're helping you bring your ideas to the light of day. Excuses not included. Yeah. I, we need a Treehouse for writers, I think. <laughs> Some hey, to teach it's you. funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been thinking that for about six months. And if I had the time 
to uh, put that into action, then um, then uh, then I I will. That's amazing that you said that. Yeah, <laughs> let's you, talk you, off you, air. Yeah, we should talk <laughs> offline. Let's let's talk about that. All right. So, Mike, Mike, I just before you go again into wherever you, whichever studio you move into next, Mike. Yeah. You writing your your um, the book that you're writing let's about not, podcasting. Let's not talk about the book again. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let's not Sorry. talk about it. But, but carry it's on. A, it's, <laughs> but the, it's, a, it's an interesting question because yep. part of the reason that you said that is because you, yeah, I, I, you, you, you know, you've you've not found it as easy a pro- an struggling. easy process. Yeah, I'm struggling. Is that fair to moment. say? Yeah. Uh, uh, over the last few weeks, I'm, I'm having a real tough time with it. Do you yeah. think that? Do you think that part of the reason that you are struggling with it is because you you still don't inherently define yourself as a writer you don't think of yourself as a writer simply because it's something that um uh, either doesn't come natural or that you just don't have the experience to do it therefore you kind of feel like oh this is just not my thing i'm i'm a podcaster you know yeah. that, that's that's what i go. do I, I i i speak i don't write um and typically whenever i write something these days it's to make an announcement about something to do with podcasting um, and even though the book is on podcasting, it's a, it's a lot of work, and and I'm not speaking when I'm writing, you know. Or it, it's basically I'm sitting down for hours typing, and and it's difficult. It's difficult for me to do that. I've I've always I've always had trouble with writing. I I think I'm good. I can I can make my point come across quite well. I think I'm I'm, I'm a decent writer. Um, I'm just not an author. I think I yeah. think that's what I've, I've I've started to learn that quite a lot recently. Sitting down for hours and feeling like you're utterly worthless kind of is what it is, though. Yeah. That is what being a writer is all about. <laughs> I'll tell you, if you really want to learn why writers, so many writers, uh, end up alcoholics and drug addicts, and you know, have have these horrible lives, or you know, manic depressives and everything else, write a book. Seriously, that's the way to that's yes. the way to find out why. It's horrible. because I mean, it really is right. What you just described, Mike, is pretty much how I feel every single day. Yeah. I, I'm not joking about that, right? You you go through these wild swings of feeling like, oh yeah, okay, I can do this, and you sit down and you stare at that page and you type it out and you type a thousand words and you look back over what you've done and you go, this is all crap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you want to just rip it up and throw it out and forget it ever happened and never do it again because uh, you know. But then you'll sit down the next day, pound out a thousand words, and say, "This is the greatest thing I've ever written." And then the following day, you'll pick up what you wrote two days ago, that thing that you thought was crap, and you'll give it a second look. You'll go, you know, there's a lot of good stuff here. This is really a good starting place. And then you'll look at the thing that you just wrote yesterday that you thought was the most brilliant thing ever and realize it's a complete, complete piece of crap. Right? Yeah. Like, you cannot win. You're constantly going back and forth, back and forth. And, and a lot of times what you have to do is you just have to fight through it and just say, you know, I, just say this is enough. This is good enough. Mm. That's and true. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people sit down, um, a lot of writers sit down and always you know, think, okay, I'm going to write this book. 
and it's going to be a bestseller. It's going to be the greatest thing ever written. And they get there and they realize that it, it they wouldn't even hand that in to their, you know, second grade English teacher, right? <laughs> it's, you know, um, and, uh, uh, and it's it's really defeating when you sit down and you think that you've got it and you think that, yeah, I can do this. And you find out it's really friggin' hard. It is really hard. And it's true. And it doesn't get any easier either. I think that's kind of the problem. I mean, no. I, I've, I've, in the last three or four months, when editing my book, this is after I've been given a publishing contract, after someone's actually decided they want to give me money to for my book. It's going to be a book. And I've sat there um, with just my head in my hands, just trying to, just trying to, I'd written this, I think we talked about it briefly, Mike, in a previous episode, but um, I'd written this new, new chapter for the book um, that I thought was essential. I had to write, include this new chapter, and I couldn't do it for love no money. I mean, what, I, what I'd written was fine, but it just wasn't, just wasn't right, and I could not think uh, how to get around it. I couldn't, I, mm. I could not work out how to fit a how to fit a thousand words into sixty seven thousand other words in a sensible mm-hmm. fashion, and I just sat with my head in my hands for about three quarters of an hour. I just did, did not know what to do, and yeah. um, and that was you know that was after I'd kind of already sort of been you know got the contract signed the contract. I'm already well into the editing process. It kind of it kind of never gets easier, but it's very it is it's worth it. It's incredibly yeah. satisfying once you get to the end. Once you you get to the end and once you publish and you get that book in your hands and you realize there's nothing that can be done now, this is it. It's final now. It's incredibly, it's an incredible relief. Um, It's incredibly gratifying. Um, And you know that you worked as hard as you possibly could to make it the best it could be. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for, for being able to sort of let go. I can't wait for the second where my book is gone. <laughs> yeah, so the, 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 pro- the, the, the problem is is that then another book comes along almost immediately that you have to write. You know? That's true. Um, That's true. I'm trying not to think about that. Anyway, Patrick, yes. I want to uh, – we must be over halfway through now. I want to ask you, though, about um, writing um, philosophy. That's kind of how I'm kind of billing it, and I've kind of yeah. – I mentioned we were going to be talking about this loosely, um, and I ask you this specifically, you, because I think that you talk about writing quite a lot, and mm-hmm. not all writers do. Um, I obviously do because I've got an entire blog made out of that sort of stuff. But um, <laughs> but um, there's a couple of things. Um, I made a distinction between having an approach to writing and a writing philosophy. So if I kind of explain mine, then perhaps that will kind of give you a bit of a prompt rather than just kind of dropping that kind of distinction or asking you to make that distinction with, with your own kind of writing. Understood. So I've kind of made that distinction. So I, I kind of think my philosophy on, on writing, and, and the reason I say this is because I think that it's important as a writer to kind of, and, and it doesn't come easily, um, is to kind of know yourself and know your own writing. That goes for your, what you're good at, I guess, and your, and your limitations, um, and it's, all, it's, it's also, you talked a bit about contemporaries early, earlier on, and that's something that's really important, I think, when writing fiction, because you need to, you do need to know who, not who you're up against, but who, um, who your direct contemporaries are. So you mentioned um, uh, authors like uh, Stephen King. 
Now, whilst you're right in the sense that I, I do need to, uh, if I'm going to call myself a writer, he is also a writer, therefore I need to think about myself in the same kind of way or in the same kind of light as someone like Stephen King. But for me, as a, a, a writer of kind of offbeat literary fiction, he isn't um, a direct contemporary. And I think it's, it's important to, to know who your contemporaries are, just so you can position yeah. your work um, sure. amongst people who write similar sorts of stuff to you. And I think once you've kind of got that sort of idea in your head too, that's when the philosophy thing starts to come. So sure. my writing philosophy, I think it's, it's about how, uh, how I kind of uh, view my own writing. So it's a philosophy on my own writing. That's the way I kind of pitched it. So I kind of, I have a, a less is more kind of attitude. I write quite mm. e- economically. Um, mm. um, and this is, this is why I kind of thought it was interesting, the idea of enough. So whenever yeah. you talk about enough. I, I kind of realized that lots of those principles I apply to writing. So Right. Um, well, and I mean, one of the reasons why things like, yeah, yeah, probably the most famous example of this is Hemingway's six-word story, right? Yes, yeah, which is brilliant. Uh, and, and, and the reason why it's so brilliant and so effective is beca- not because of the words that are there, obviously. There's only six of them, Right. It's that there's just enough words there to paint a picture in your mind that you that that the reader, the listener, the person who hears that story can't help can't help but fill in with the rest, right? Yeah. So people not familiar familiar with the story, it's um, um, <clears throat> uh, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Right now, you take those six words, and I don't care who you give them to. They paint a story of heartbreak. They paint a story of relief. They paint a story of uh, you know possible uh, death or uh, you know stillborn or what have you. Um, yeah, you get what I'm saying. It, mm. You you bring your own. Uh, your own sense to that story. And it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I think that the best stories are those that give you just enough information to create your own world, for the reader to create their own world and to invest, invest their own, their, their own story into yours, as it were. And the way that I kind of um, think about that, I mean, that's all, all absolutely true and a, a really very good example as well. And the way that I think about that and the way that I, I guess this is the crux of my philosophy, my writing philosophy, um, is for me, it's always about, I always try and think about what isn't said as much as mm-hmm. what is said. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually been one of the challenges um, that I've had. It's I mean, generally the editing process, working with a professional editor, editor to get my novel ready for publication has been great. But the, the one yeah. kind of thing was, um, is, has been um, how much of certain parts of the novel to reveal. And I've been very sort of keen to sort of hold some information back. And it's kind of, well, yeah. what, what happens here? And I go, well, it doesn't really matter what happens there. I mean, I kind of know what I think happens there. Or mm-hmm. um, or what that what that means, but mm-hmm. and and it's that kind of yeah. It's about it's about what's not said as often as well. And as I I think if you fill in too many blanks with with the reader, the reader won't or for the reader, the reader won't have a chance to invest in the story. Um, and 
yeah. Speaking of Stephen King, that's one of the faults I have with some of his work. Not all of it, but some of it um, is he has a tendency sometimes to go too deep into description. Um, uh, and, and I feel, uh, oftentimes, you know, he doesn't allow the reader to fill in the blanks and fill in some of those gaps. Uh, but those, those cases where he doesn't do that, he's tremendously successful, right? Um, uh, uh, uh misery comes to mind. Um, mm. misery has several great, you know, scenes in it, um, where, yeah, I mean, even if you watch the movie, the the movie took them to that place, right? Mm. Like they they weren't mentioned in the book. You know, the book left you just enough information to mm. imagine what happened because what you put into that that blank space is far worse than anything he could have written. Right? Mm. The reason it's worse is because it's yours. It's the readers. It's it's their it's their story at stake. Absolutely, and that's and that's really how I've tried to think about um, writing my novel. So, I mean, that's we, we might have to we, we may have to have you on for a follow up episode, Patrick. So I know that time's yeah. slightly getting on. So yeah. I, I won't talk about what my, my distinction between philosophy and approach now, but I will ask you before we kind of wrap things up just to talk about what your kind of philosophy is on uh, on writing. Well, if you I, have, I mean, yeah. Here's the thing, because I write something completely different, right? Yeah. I write I write nonfiction. You know, one of the one of the labels I've been kind of toying with lately to try to give some people some idea because I still don't think that writer or essayist is is enough. When you say when you say those things or when you say author, people almost automatically assume fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Um and or or even if it's nonfiction, people if you just stop at writer, people automatically assume like you know, some self-help book or, you know, some technical manual or something like that. You know, that essayist helps people to to understand what, in fact, it is I do because that is what I do. I write essays and those essays then are either around a central theme and around that theme closely enough that I can compile them into a book under said theme, um, like with enough or – like with the case of keeping it straight, um, there's several themes there, and I tried to group them as best I, as best as possible. But the, even then, there are some that don't quite fit. But it really is more of just a collection of various essays I've written over the years. Um, and uh, is, is there a philosophy that, that ties, is there a philosophy that ties them all together? Though is there is there a kind of so my philosophy in writing is that I uh, my I guess my the way I think about my own writing is to be concise and to be economical because I think yeah. that is me. That, that, that's, the, that's how I do it best. Is there, right. a, is there something that ties all your stuff together? Yes. Yes. And that is I, I generally tell stories about truth and mission and <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for words here. I tell personal stories that have a message to impart to everyone, mm. right? I take my observations about the world and the lessons that I learn, and I turn them into stories so that others can do the same. 
And of course, you've got this sort of, you also have the central themes of, of, of I guess, enough and minimalism to perhaps a lesser extent, although that's quite a yeah. loose term to tie it all together as well. Yeah, yeah. But keep in mind that that once again comes from a very personal overall belief system that has mm. to do with, um, yeah, that at least for me is deeply tied to, to, to my Buddhist beliefs, but also, um, uh, but without being overtly, um, you know, spiritualist, uh, spiritual. Mm. Um, but certainly, the themes of mindfulness, introspection, and truth are all are all tied into just about everything that I write. And if there's any underlying philosophy, it is that. Mm. Marvelous. Well, thank you very much, Patrick, for coming on the on the show. It's been a fantastic speech here. We could probably do with another two or three hours to actually talk about uh, all these things properly. I think, but never mind. I agree. No, I, I I would love to come back on and and do that. So let's make that happen again soon. Well, you'd be very welcome. It's been interesting to talk about kind of the role of, uh, I think the uh, the idea of what a writer is. I think is really kind of interesting and at the heart of why people actually do end up completing writing projects in the first place. So. Well, I would say some the reason why people are listening in the first place, right, is to, yeah. you know, is that they either have taken that leap or want to take that leap themselves. Indeed. So, before we uh, sign off, could you tell the world once more where to find you? Yes, uh, I can be found. Uh, the easiest way to get to everything I do is actually to go to patrickrone.net. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-K-R-H-O-N-E, like the region of France, uh, or the river, or the wine. <laughs> um, uh, and on Twitter, I'm at Patrick Rone, all one string. Marvelous. And uh, Michael? I am on Twitter. I am iMike, um, I-M-Y-K-E. And I am Ian Broom on Twitter, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E. And uh, this is like a spelling bee, isn't it? We've all spe- spelled our names <laughs> for no real reason. Well, we kind of we kind of do, especially with Broom. You you have a you do have to tell people this true. Yeah, and and Ian can be spelled multiple ways. So yes, no, it's a constant problem. So yes, Ian Broom on Twitter, or you can go to writeforyourlife.net and uh, find me there too. And um, I think that's it. Thanks for uh, joining us, Patrick, once more. And um, thank you. Speak to uh, speak to you all next week, you wonderful people out there. Bye. Bye. Cheers.